A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. It's another special edition of PFTPM, our post-draft interview series with general managers from around the NFL. And we're talking now to a gentleman who got the job in Atlanta a year ago. This is draft number two that has just concluded for Terry Fontenot. He joins us now. Terry, welcome to the program. Great to finally talk to you. Yep. Appreciate you having me, Mike. And congratulations on your success. I did a little research. Sometimes I do that. Sometimes it can be dangerous because I end up thinking that I saw things that I didn't actually see. But one thing that I saw loudly and clearly in your background, you are a Louisiana guy through and through. Lake Charles, Tulane, all those years with the Saints. How did they let you take a job with the Falcons? <laughs> That's, look, I appreciate you doing that research. And, um, and look, I still love all my family back home in Louisiana. And uh and man, I couldn't be more excited about being here in Atlanta. And you know, it's funny how living my whole life in Louisiana, but once I got here, it didn't take long to really get accustomed to everyone here. My family, I have four kids and, and you would think they've lived here for their whole life. So, so very quickly, because of this community, this region, they really take you in as family. And we feel like we've lived here for our whole life. Quite a rivalry though, still between the Saints and the Falcons, all the stories from the days. I remember the time the, the buses were egged. I think it was Saints buses at the Atlanta airport, right? Yeah. Were you absolutely. on those buses when they got egged? I don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, um, a, new, a new future in the rivalry as you continue to work forward with the Falcons. Let me ask you this before we get into some nuts and bolts of what happened in this draft. Your own experience. Coming out of Tulane, deciding to pursue a career in football and landing as you did as a scout, what drew you to that aspect of the NFL process? Yeah. And, and I was, I was just blessed with a really good opportunity. When I tell that story, there's, there was never a time where I said, I want to be an NFL scout. Um, I, I was kind of raised a certain way just to do your very best in every moment and, and, and work like it depends on you pray like it depends on God. And, and I believe this was, this was meant to be for me. And, but when that opportunity just to work on the business side with the Saints came, I did an internship and I worked as hard as I could. And um, you blink your eyes and you keep getting promotions and all of a sudden you're the assistant GM. So um, I, I really believe I just kind of kept my head down and work. And um, this is something that I have passion for and it worked out for me. It's amazing how long you were with the Saints too. You don't see that kind of stability in the NFL. What's the biggest lesson you learned during your time in New Orleans that prepared you best for the job you have now? And I would say everything you do needs to be inclusive. Um, there's never, uh, it's not a dictatorship. There's never one person, whether it's a coach or a GM, that's making all the decisions. It has to be an inclusive process um, in everything you do in the decision-making. You have to surround yourself with really smart people and trust and empower them. And if you do that, whether we're talking about football or any other business, if you do that, then, then you will have a level of success. I want to get to one of the big dynamics in the NFL right now. And there are different teams that approach it differently. And that is the acquisition of receivers, whether it's developing a player who becomes a star and gets paid a lot of money by that team, whether it's going out and drafting a new guy and hoping for the best or trading for somebody else's veteran receiver. This year for you, the right decision was to use that eighth overall pick on the first receiver taken in the draft and Drake London. What has brought you down on the side of the best course for us is to go ahead and jump in with a rookie and hope that we can develop Drake London into a future star? Yeah, great, uh, great question. And, and you're right, this, it's interesting what happened with the receiver position this all season. Um, via trade, in free agency, uh, what the numbers were, and also in the draft. 
um, uh, the way they came off the board. For us, we, we, we set the board and, and we have an amazing staff. Um, our, our scouting staff is led by Kyle Smith and they work along obviously with the coaches and the, the entire building. And we have a very inclusive process and we set the board, Mike, and we take the players off the board. So when we drafted Drake London, he was the best player on the board and we're excited to take him at that point. If it would have been a defensive player or another skill position on offense or whatever position, we would have taken that player off the board. So, um, so we never felt like uh, we had to take a receiver at that spot. So um, now when you look at how the draft came out, um, obviously, it was a very um, highly valued position, um, and we can see why. But for us, um, we stuck with the integrity of the board, and we were disciplined because of all the work that went in, and Drake truly was the best player on the board. When you go through the process, Terry, of setting your board, how hard is it to set aside your needs? Because you clearly needed a receiver. How do you keep that from, from influencing and skewing your assessment of a prospect so you don't bump him up higher so you can say, okay, we, we, had, we had a real need at that position. We got it taken care of. Coincidentally, that was the highest rated guy that we had when it was time for us to pick. Yeah, well, when you're a prisoner of the moment and you're thinking about right now, Mike, that can be difficult and, and you want to uh, grade on the curve and, and, and pump some air and some guys to get them up when you're a prisoner of the moment. But for us, we're focusing on the big picture and, and focusing on the process. And, and we're looking at progress over perfection. So with that, we need to add good players at every position. Now, what can happen, Mike, when you're setting your board, for instance, you see it in the second round for us where we had Ebicady, um, uh at a certain spot. He's a really good pass rusher. And so we traded up to get him, but we wouldn't have um, reached for another, if, if he's off the board, we wouldn't have reached for anyone at our spot. We would have taken the best player off the board. So I think where that comes into play, Mike, when you want to take players that fit needs, that comes more into play in terms of moving around the draft, whether you're trading up for a player or trading back for a player. But in setting the board, you just want to not be a prisoner of the moment and understand that you need to add to each position and, and set the board that so that you're really going to take the best players off the board at the appropriate time. When you're putting that player's name in, Drake London specifically, the first receiver drafted this year, do you consider at all this broader dynamic I've noticed with the position? And I'll use Michael Thomas as the best example of it. If you get a receiver who gets drafted later than he thought he was going to get drafted, falls around two, that lights a fire that never goes out. It seems like it never goes out in his entire career. Whereas if it's the first receiver off the board, now I know it worked out well for Jamar Chase and the Bengals last year, but there's a little extra pressure like, do you factor into that? If this is our guy at number eight, we think he's going to be able to handle the pressure and the expectation and the scrutiny. And he's not going to, going to be satisfied that he's arrived, that he was the first receiver taken. He's still going to have some fire. Maybe it's because he wasn't taken first overall instead of eighth overall. But do you factor that into your assessment? Well, we do. We start with the makeup. But when players are wired the right way, because if you think of it, Mike, there can always be whether a player was drafted high, there's level of expectation or, or, or even once he has success, even if he was drafted later and once he has success and signs a big contract, there's a level of expectation. So at some point, it's going to come out that true character is going to be revealed. So we believe that when you draft the right players that are wired the right way and acquire the right players, they have the right makeup. And so they're going to handle it the right way. They're going to come in and, and they're always going to have that fire on a daily basis and, and they're going to work. And even when they if they do get a big contract, they're still going to be wired the right way. So that's why we believe in bringing in the guys that are wired the right way, that have the right intangibles, that have the right makeup. Uh, the character part is so important just because of those things. Terry, the quarterback position was a wild card in this draft, a mystery for a lot of people inside and outside of the NFL. When the dust settled on round one on Thursday night, how surprised were you that only one quarterback had been taken? Well, I, I, I wouldn't say surprised because the other teams were operating the same way we did. And, and, and they were taking, there were so many good players in this draft and in the first round, when you go through the first round, go through the 32 picks, a lot of really good football players came off the board. Same with the second round. Um, we're excited to get the players that we got in the second round. Not that, it's not a negative on any of the quarterbacks, but we were taking the best players off the board and a lot of really good football players got taken off the board. 
Um, so I know it was unique in this year, just like all the receivers that went, not as many quarterbacks went, but I, I just, when you look at the players that went, there were a lot of good football players that came off the boards. So when you get to round three and you select Cincinnati's Desmond Ritter, when there are other options available at quarterback, what set him apart? What made him your guy in that spot? Yeah, so, so at that point, he, he truly was. He was the best guy uh, off the board, and we were excited to take him off because we spent time with, with Desmond as we did the other quarterbacks throughout the process. And I remember going into Cincinnati and, and after he worked out, getting to sit in a room with him, and we talked to him a lot, and, and he went through um, – how they brought that program to a different level. And, and he, he talked about, he was very selfless and humble in the way he talked about his teammates and the coaching staff and what they did. I think it's special what they're able to do at Cincinnati, raising that, that program to another level. And you knew we had a player that he does have a chip on his shoulder. He always has felt like he has something to prove. And he's one of those guys that whether he goes in the first round or the seventh round, he's gonna be that type of worker that brings it every day. So uh, we're excited to take Desmond at that time, excited about the time we spent with him, and we're excited to get him here so he can go to work. Is it harder to evaluate quarterbacks, Terry, because there are so many intangibles like that that you need to get right? You need to know that you're getting a guy who's going to show up early, stay late, do all the things you need him to do, hold his teammates accountable, be a guy who can walk into the locker room and command attention. It, does it make it harder than for any other position to gauge exactly what you're getting? Boy, those those intangibles are so critical. And the, the, the tough thing about the entire college process is we're projecting. And, and it's not because obviously in their element, they handle things a certain way, but, but we're projecting um, what they're going to be once they get here. But uh, the, our process, I really appreciate our process. And, and again, starting with our college uh, staff and, and getting into the coaches and all the work that goes into it, um, we really appreciate uh, our process and, and, and we believe that we have a really good group that is evaluating these players. So it, it is difficult at that position and any position um, to come in and make this transition. These are young men. Some of them are 20 years old now. And when we bring them in, there's a lot of things that they're going to be going against. So once they get in the building with all of them, we have to make sure we have clear development plans and we're able to support them in all the ways that we can. From an outsider's perspective, how should we view the Falcons quarterback depth chart going into this year? Is it Marcus Mariota or is it competition or is it something else? I would say at, at any depth chart, any position um, on our depth chart, it's all the same. That right now we're going to have going into camp, we're going to have 90 players all competing to be the 53 plus 16. And then on a weekly basis, they're going to be competing to get a jersey on game day to be one of the 48. That's truly how we see this. We're continuing to add competition at every position. And, and that's what's really exciting about this. When you evaluated Desmond Ritter, was part of the goal to try to find someone who projected to having a similar skill set to Marcus Mariota so you'd have a seamless playbook between one guy and the other? Was that part of the, the consideration at all? I wouldn't say that that was a, a part of the consideration. Um, I, I would say we just evaluated the player, and but it, it is cool to look at the quarterback um, room right now. And uh, uh, we rival. Um, there's not many quarterback rooms that look like that with, uh, with with Marcus and Desmond and also Felipe Franks. I mean, they look good coming off the bus. Some big athletic guys, <laughs> but again, they're all really good human beings as well. And uh, Marcus Mariota as soon as he was um, here and found a house and, and he was in the building and he's been here working as much as he possibly can, anything that he can legally do, he's going to do it um, to try to be the best football player he can be. So it's been excited to, to see him work. And, uh, and Desmond is wired that same way. So uh, that's obviously important to us. And um, yeah, it's a big athletic looking group. As Marcus started bringing that spam around, we saw him at the Super Bowl one year and he was pushing spam. I haven't seen the spam yet. No, I haven't. <laughs> Does oh, he really eat that? Maybe, maybe, maybe he's gotten away from the spam. Maybe that's why he's still playing uh, all these years later. I hope he's not uh, eating that. <laughs> another big athletic guy on your team, Grady Jarrett. There was some uncertainty about his status. There were some whispers. Maybe it's maybe he doesn't fit or whatever. Boom. Three-year extension. What caused you to conclude it was the right time to do another contract with a guy who's been around for a while? Boy, that's that's really exciting. And and you look at this offseason with uh, Grady Jarrett, Jake Matthews, and Young Way Koo, 
those are uh, three foundational piece, pieces in each phase that we're able to get extensions done with. And that's really important uh, for us moving forward. Um, our administration staff, Chris Solis and Kirsten Groves have worked really hard on those contracts. And we're really excited because the common thing with each one of those players is they're good players and they're even better human beings. And, and when we're building something, those are the kind of players that we want to build around. You're going to bring in a lot of young players and we have an infusion of young talent. So we want to make sure we have consummate pros in the building. So we're excited about all those players and Grady Jarrett. Uh, we couldn't be more thrilled about getting that done. If you pay attention to the headlines of Pro Football Talk, and I know you do, you may have seen that Matt Ryan recently said that but for the pursuit of Deshaun Watson, he'd still be with the Falcons. Do you agree with his assessment of the way things could have fallen out differently? I, I don't know. Um, I haven't seen. I usually do. Uh, I do pay attention to Pro Football Talk, and I, I click refresh on that a lot, obviously. Yeah. But, but I haven't seen that yet, and um, I don't know the context that it was in. But, look, Matt Ryan is a, is a special man, and, and the type of professional that he is, we appreciated our uh, – opportunity to spend an entire year with him and, and his family. And he's awesome. We appreciate the Colts throughout that whole process. Everything was handled with a high level of professionalism and we're happy for him and where he is now. And we're moving forward and um, we're excited about our quarterback room. One more as soon as, as soon as I get off this call, I'm going to go to PFT and catch up on the news that I haven't caught well, up on. Good. That's good. That's very good. And that <laughs> means I'm going to let you go quicker so you can get to it. We need the, we need the traffic. But uh, he, 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 I haven't read the article myself. I just saw the headline. One of my other people wrote it. But I thought I need to ask Terry about that. One other thing I want to ask you about this Deshaun Watson thing, because it kind of came out of the blue that you guys were involved. And Chris Sims has suggested that Deshaun Watson actually reached out to the Falcons and asked the Falcons to get involved. It wasn't a case of the Falcons getting involved. Who, who, who made the first move on that? Well, again, I don't, I don't want to really rehash he's on another roster right now so without rehashing that Mike and going back to that I will say that we're always going to turn over every stone and and we're going to explore every possibility uh moving forward here and and, and that's the way we're going to operate um so without talking specifically about that um he, he's on another roster right now but I would say we're going to explore everything possible if there's if there's an opportunity to improve this football team, we're going to explore it. Anytime I say one more question, I guarantee that there's going to be one more. You got four <laughs> kids. How hard has it been to get them to set aside the Saints fandom and accept the Falcons? Do you have any holdouts that are still Saints fans? No, it, it's. Uh, I appreciate Jackson about my children, and but it really hasn't. It's amazing how quick that change happens. I, and I remember vividly uh, the last Saints game. And, and it was it was against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and I, and I was sitting in the press box and afterwards I come down and, and I'm with my family and with the kids and it's, it's emotional naturally because we all knew there was a chance that was the last game. And so uh, that night um, uh, we agreed with the Falcons and we um, and instantly it, it's crazy how it happens, Mike, and I can't explain it, but being somewhere so long and, and being with that team and you live and die and a lot of blood, sweat and tears. But when I say instantly, there's an instant transition um, to the Falcons. And we were diehard Falcons right away. And each one of them were. So uh, it, it's, I appreciate you asking about my family. And um, they're all about the Falcons. Sounds like they're smart kids. <laughs> they are smart kids. Falcons pay daddy now. <laughs> all right, right. Terry. <laughs> yeah, congratulations on all your success and all the best moving forward. Hope to do this again sooner rather than later. Anytime, Mike. I really appreciate you, man. I'm going to go check PFT right now. Perfect. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up 
that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Join us now. Super Bowl 54 champion, Brett Veach. Brett, welcome back. How are you, pal? Mike, uh, I'm doing good. Excited to be on and uh, talk a little draft. Yeah, well, I, I want to talk about one thing before we get to the draft, because mm -hmm. it sets up the draft conversation. You're smack dab in the middle of this dynamic that we're seeing now in the NFL with receivers. Draft them, develop them and pay them, develop them and trade them, trade for them. There's all sorts of different shapes and sizes. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing all of these transactions and all these different ways of pursuing receivers. I can't remember anything like this, where you have a position that is so plentiful each and every draft, but the best players are getting paid more than we've ever seen before. And it seems like the market's going up all the time and teams are trading for veterans. I don't remember a time like this at any position in the 50 years I've been following the NFL. Yeah, no, it was. Um... It's certainly a crazy dynamic, and uh, I think we got certainly tipped off early on in free agency when when you start to see the receiver deals come in. Um, you know, I, I think it's one of those situations where it's uh, it's it's probably a case by case basis. I'm sure it has a lot to do with um, where teams are and the stress to win right now. And and you know, do you have a, a rookie under the you know under contract or or do you have a veteran? And you know, I someone asked me earlier about where we stand on that. And, and I think it's, it's truly just a year by year basis. And, you know, if, if your if your cap is in a situation where you're good now and, and you have some, you know, some years that fall where you're in a position to be aggressive, I think teams will be aggressive. Um, you know, this year was just a, a different year for us in re regards to where we were with our quarterback and some other players on the team. Um, now this may come full circle where in a couple of years from now, we're going out there and we're one of those teams, you know, signing that big free agent uh, wide receiver, but uh, we like where the draft was, and, and we thought that this was a point in time uh, during this run here with Pat that we can take a step back and, you know, get the resources and, and yeah, add receiver. And we did that with the Jujus and the MVSs and, and certainly Sky Moore there in the draft, but also um, use some of those resources to, to add to the defense. And, and we certainly wanted to get younger and deeper there, too. So um, this was a scenario we just took a step back and, and we thought it'd be best for the team. And, and we went ahead and, and, and made that trade. And I think um, both teams will, will benefit from it. Is it easier to make that trade of a Tyree kill because you had him as long as you did, you would have been into contract number three. Some of these teams are now making the decisions to trade a receiver on contract one, instead of giving yeah. contract two. is it easier to say, Hey, we scratched the lottery ticket. I always use that metaphor for draft picks. We scratched the lottery ticket. It was a winner and we cashed it in. We, we, we got full use out of that player. We won a Super Bowl with that player. It's easier to move on now than if we had reached some sort of an impasse with him when he was trying to get his second contract, not his third contract. Uh, yes and no. I think on, on one end to all the points you made, I think those are all true. Um, it was a, a third contract, not a second contract. And, um, you know, father time is undefeated in this league. It, you know, unless you're Tom Brady, I mean, you, you know, you certainly <laughs> have a, you certainly have a certain end point. Um, so to that degree, that was part of um, our in-depth conversations about the landscape of the NFL. And then, you know, more specifically where we were as an organization. So uh, yes, in that regard, but also it is tough when on the flip side, you have accomplished so much and, you know, he's still playing at a high level and the rapport that he has with Travis and with Pat is special and is unique. So I think it goes both ways. I think it, it probably helped push, um, push the ball over the goal line, so to speak, to, to, to do this, but uh, trades like that are never easy. And, and they're always, emotional. I mean, I know it's a business and everyone knows this from, you know, people that are GMs and coaches and certainly players. I mean, at the end of the day, it's business, but it doesn't mean that you are totally void of emotional attachments. And, and he was certainly a player we had one with, and um, it was tough, but I think it was certainly the best thing for our organization. One of the most amazing aspects of that entire experience was the fact that you were able to keep it so quiet. We didn't know anything about it until the morning it happened. And probably by the time word broke, 
a decision had been made that the Dolphins would be the destination. How did you keep it from becoming a big story, big news, big distraction? Then you start having media chime in whether or not you should or shouldn't do it and you have to worry about that. How did you keep it all quiet until the moment it was ready to go down? Well, I think, um, you know, I don't know if I can answer that specifically. I would, I would throw a guess that the fact that we were in contract negotiations with him at the combine probably threw some teams off where they may hear something, but you know, there was also a ton of reporting that we were working with Drew and we were trying to get something done. Um, so I, I don't think there was a lot of time from the combine where we had some preliminary discussions that was kind of trending in one way, looked like maybe we can get something done to, you know, maybe the media and the teams with free agency starting, you have all that other news with the Devontae Adams trade and who's signing where and all that stuff going at the same time. Well, while that was going on, it, it, at the same time, what was going on was a shift in kind of our thinking and, and where this was going, but it probably just got lost in, you know, due to the fact that free agency had just started and there was so much stuff out there with different players and different movements. I, I would probably say um, it had more to do with us trying to get something done and then just being fluid and being able to adapt and change our game plan as free agency started. One way that Chris Sims has described your offense in recent years with Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill is the defense has to cover every blade of grass. Now, without Tyreek Hill, is the plan to force them to cover every blade of grass with someone else? Or is it we don't need them to cover every blade of grass for our offense to work? Yeah, I think that the cool thing about, you know, what we have here is when you have a, a coach uh, like Andy Reid and an offensive coordinator like Eric Bieniemy and and Pat Mahomes, I you know I think that there's many ways to score points and many ways to move the football. And uh, you've seen Coach do it over the years with with different type of skill sets and, and different type of quarterbacks. Um, he's had an advantage because no quarterback he's ever had is is quite as gifted as Pat. Um, but sporadically throughout the last four, five, six years, I mean we've had many games without Tyreek and many games without Travis. And you know now it's you know, that you, you could easily argue that it's a small sample size and it's only a few games and, and what have you. But um, we still, you know, love the talent on this team. And we have guys that can run in McCall Hardman and MVS. And, and we're going to add a, a rookie here in, in Sky Moore. And then we have some size with Travis and um, with Juju. So I, I think that, you know, on top of that, we also have a great offensive line. So I think there'll be many ways to score points. And, and I think coach will never be short of creativity. Um, I think our game plan will be much like it was and uh, and has been every year and that's just find ways to get these guys in positions to win and and now listen with Tyreek it's a little easier we just tell them to run that's the way of winning but with this guy you know with with these guys we have here they may not be as fast but we have a ton of talent um our coaches will do a great job of just putting these guys in, in good positions to win and um you know we we're confident in the running game with with Clyde and now adding Rojo I think we'll be balanced and um you know I think we're excited and I think you know the team's looking for um, you know, I think they're looking forward to the challenge of, of being a little bit different on offense and, and trying new things. And just like we've done the same thing with Tyreek and the RPO stuff, some of the defenses are, are now predictable and they're just dropping everybody. But I think it'll allow us to get a little more creative and utilize some different concepts. You mentioned Miko Hardman. We met with him at the Super Bowl. He's a guy who's entering his contract here. How do you balance the, the, the temptation to wait and see what he does this year before you put a value on him for a second contract versus the idea that, you know, the longer we wait, the more expensive it's going to get. He has a big year. The market keeps going haywire. Where's the sweet spot from a timing standpoint for a guy like that? Um, uh, it's a good question. I think one of the things uh, that makes it more difficult is just where this receiver market went. So on one end, we can sit there and, 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 come up with something that makes sense for us and for him. But on the other end, um, when you come off a free agency period where these numbers um, were so high and there's also the mindset or thought process of, you know, the cap will only get bigger now. Um, I think it'll probably tend to go in the direction where the agents and the players want to wait. And, you know, if, if any, if last year was any indication of where this thing's going to go and well, at some point it will kind of flatline out and things will become more balanced in regards to getting stuff done ahead of time. But um, you know, we'll certainly uh, have those type of conversations, but I think that if this off season, you know, tip to hand, it's, it's more in the lines of the agent and the player just saying, well, might as well just wait. I mean, a lot of players 
um, benefit of, from, from waiting. And, and you know, I, I think until that flatlines and settles down, um, I think there'll be more of a of a desire for probably the agents more so to um, to wait and play it out. And it was a weird year to see how high up the salary cap went from the pandemic year to this season. Do you have an idea of where it's going the next few years? Do you try to predict and project and sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong? I mean, yeah, I mean, we try to, it's, it's hard because uh, we were a few years ago when we were doing our off season um, deals a few years ago, we were hoping it was going to be at, at 215 to 218 this past season and it, it settled at 208. I think there's a general mindset that, we may have one more um, slower developing year next year. And then the year after that, you might see a bigger jump. So I think we're, you know, again, I, I have no insider information and, you know, we're just kind of, we're trying to play it safe and be smart with our contracts so we don't get put in any crazy scenarios. But I think, you know, our mindset and our best guess is maybe a, a moderate increase next year. And then when you talk about substantial games, uh, games, you're looking at maybe 24. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, a guy you mentioned earlier, free agent acquisition from Green Bay. You know, the guy's got incredible measurables. The production didn't always match what you would expect it to do. And it's Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. Why do you think that he really hasn't had the kind of big numbers that maybe you would have expected given the offense he was in? And, and how central do you think he's going to be to what you guys do in the passing game this year? Well, I think... Um... Sometimes in those scenarios, when you have great offenses, um, I think it's similar to maybe a, a McCole Hardman here or Sammy Watkins here. Uh, when you have those guys, your offense is is really tough to stop. But at the same time, you know you're going to have a, a ton of production out of a Tyree Kill and out of a Travis Kelsey. Um, there's only so many balls to go around, and 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 certainly with Devontae Adams being there, and I know um, you know the tight end there at Green Bay, he also had a lot of production. Um, they've had a ton of weapons over the years. We've had a ton of weapons over the years. So I think the value in, in players like MVS and the Watkins and the McColls are really in, you know, where the, the total offensive production ends at the end of the year. I mean, they're, they're a reason why, I mean, if you have, if you don't have those guys, you certainly Travis and Tyreek will, will still get theirs and, and be productive. But when you have those guys, it just makes it all the more difficult um, to lose track of uh, or to keep track of every single uh, player. So I think their value falls more in line with the overall production of their offense. And, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would bet Green Bay's offense and Kansas City's offense have been up there at the top the last few years. And I, and I think those players, although their stats may say that they're the direct reason, um, when you take a step back, um, they're a big reason. And, you know, we we saw that a little when Sammy left. I mean, we had some issues with some concepts um, just because Sammy – um, maybe he wasn't getting the ball, but he occupied things and, and it made it easier for Travis and made it easier for, for Tyreek. So I think those guys' values, um, it's a little bit misleading when, when you just look at the, the catch and, and yardage product, uh, production. But I think when these guys sign somewhere um, and, it's, and it's not cheap, it's more. It's because I think teams and coaches see the role and the value. And, and if the opportunity presents itself, these guys make plays and do things. And, and McColl's the same way. I mean, McColl is just, he hasn't been targeted a lot because he's around great players. So now uh, hopefully this year he gets a chance to get more opportunities and, and make the most of them. You made some noise on the first night of the draft, moving from 29 up to 21, cut the line in front of the Packers. Some idiots like me thought, hey, they're going to get a receiver. And then we realized, well, all the good receivers, at least for now, are gone. And you you drafted a cornerback instead, which obviously it makes sense to have good cornerbacks when you've got so many great receivers around. But walk me through the mechanics and basically how long in advance are the seeds planted for that move that happens when the Patriots are on the clock at 21? Is the call made out of the blue there or are there advance? And if so, how far in advance conversations about the possibility of making that jump? We had talked about a couple of different scenarios and you know, we wanted, and I think I had mentioned this in my uh, pre-draft press, right? I didn't foresee just a monster move up where you're trading. You have all this equity, two ones, two twos, two threes. You know, there's so much value in that with these seasons are so long and there is a battle of attrition and you have to have a deep roster. Um, we wanted to be selectively aggressive. Uh, we went through a few different game plans and what we thought was what made sense for us was in regards to adding to that defense, when we're sitting there at 29 30, we can make a small move. And we talked about that game plan on Monday. By Tuesday and Wednesdays, we were calling, I think, from the Eagles at 18 
the Saints at 19, 20 with the Steelers, 21 New England, um, 22 the Packers, and, and so on. So we started at the 18. You know, we we really wanted to not have to do anything with 50 or 62. So we kind of looked at, all right, we do have two threes and two fours. So let's look at those combinations and where could that get us? And probably will get us 21, 22, but hey, let's call these teams in front of us. Um, and sure enough, uh, New Orleans was receptive, but you know it had to involve 62. And we just wanted to play it by air. Um, we were motivated to, we, we wanted to address the corner position. We, we thought there were some teams like Tennessee and Buffalo that would go corner. Um, we thought the DN group was the numbers played in our favor so that if we waited until 30, we just felt like there was numbers before and after that first round that would help us. Whereas corners um, during our process, we had a couple guys and we thought it would be iffy if they would get to 29. So we were kind of committed to moving up to a corner the whole time, had dialogue with all the teams. And, um, you know, we ended up staying on 19 because we wanted to keep 62. Then the Eagles made the trade, and that kind of opened the door for us because I think they may have gone corner. But with them making the trade, we were able to double back with our conversation in New England and, and execute that. But it was it was really corner the whole time for us, and I think it kind of prompted Buffalo's move because then they moved up two spots to get the next corner. And I think had we just stayed there, I think both uh, McDuffie and Elam were, were gone. And, and um, so that was, I think, a strategy that, that worked out in our favor. It's got to be nerve-wracking. You've got these contingencies and these possibilities, and you it almost sounds like a game show. Like, all right, we're not going to do the trade at 18. We'll see if he's still there at 19. Yeah. We're not going to do it at 19. We'll see if he's still there at 20. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of guesswork. I assume it's informed guesswork. It's experience. It's hunch. I don't know. But to, take me through what, what's going on inside you while you're waiting for these picks as you're hoping you can work something out where you eventually do spring up to get the guy you want. Yeah, I mean, it's really just falling back on your board and the numbers on the board and, and looking at, and, and, and like you said, Mike, it, it is nerve wracking because you can sit there and you can feel 90% sure, but that really doesn't mean anything. It takes, all it takes is one team to do something out of the norm and it, it affects everybody else's pick. Um, I certainly think that if the Eagles stay there, McDuffie's off the board, but because they stayed, decided to trade for receiver, uh, the whole board gets, goes in different directions. Um, but it's a combination of, of the numbers you have at those positions on the board um, blended with what are perceived to be team needs and what they're going to do, um, combined with the likelihood of someone or some team making a trade. Um, one thing that was obvious to us early on was we had hypotheticals with every team. The one team that was very reluctant to talk hypotheticals was Pittsburgh. And so that kind of, it, it, it just basically confirmed what you thought. Well, in this draft, uh, you're going to have hypotheticals unless you want a quarterback. I think if, you know, and so, you know, you never know. There's a lot of buzz out there of them taking a quarterback, um, but you never know how these teams feel about a quarterback. But I think when we had talks with them prior to the draft and then right around pick 15 and 16, they were extremely noncommittal to doing anything. So then we felt like, all right, this ain't going to be a corner here at 20. So we either, you know, it's either 19 or 21. We're going to be okay. Well, um, you know, I think the Eagles took the receiver there. So we had that window there where we felt like we had some room to operate because at the time calling those teams, we felt like we had a, a safe spot there at 20 that that would be a quarterback. The, uh, the whole concept of moving up, obviously you guys made the big move five years ago to get Patrick Mahomes at number 10. And one of the things I got product placement behind me in my book, Playmakers, we talk about how the Saints were ready to pull the trigger at number 11. Drew Brees was in the draft room. They had to go tell Drew, hey, we may be taking a quarterback here. I don't know if I've asked you this before. When you guys moved to 10, and there's a good chance I've asked you this before, and I just don't remember, but when you moved to 10 that year, did you know the Saints were taking him at 11? Um, no, we didn't. Um, but during that process, um, going into the draft, we knew that um, Buffalo was um, a team that was going to um, to work with us. So entering the draft, we knew that, you know, the highest we can get to is 10. We were just at the mercy of um, New Orleans and Arizona, both reported potential interest. I mean, it wouldn't have taken a lot to get from 11 to nine. Um, so, you know, it, it's one of the, now listen, you know, the, um, the fifth year option jumps once you get into 11, 12. So maybe there, there was an element of, all right, let's just roll the dice here and we'll save some on the fifth year option at, at picks 11 and, and 12. Although in looking back, when you have a chance, Pennywise, pound foolish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I can't definitively say that that was their, their approach. You would have to think it, it. It. They genuinely thought that no, no one was coming up to ten. 
because if you thought someone was coming up to 10, I don't think that um, uh, a few bucks here on a, on a fifth year option was going to be enough of a risk to wait at 11. But again, it's like a lot of things in this profession. I mean, it, I mean, this sport is great. I mean, the parity is like none other, but at the end of the day, you know, whether you're a great roster on paper or whether you have the most perfect draft plan, like there is an element of luck and you have to have a little luck. Now, the more prepared you are, the more likely you are to be lucky. Um, but you do need some teams to um, do things for you to take advantage of, of, of that work. And, and I think we were certainly lucky a few years ago. And hopefully um, as we look back in time, we were lucky this year. Before I let you go, schedule's coming out May 12. When it pops up on your phone or your laptop or your tablet or wherever, what's the first thing you're going to look at? Vegas, because it's the best trip. I mean, there's 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 <laughs> nothing. They have a they have. I mean, listen, everybody loves. I mean, first off, it's a it's a conference rival, and uh, they got a beautiful stadium, and it was electric there last year. Um, all these games we play there are amazing, but uh, I think everybody. I always, and I think I spoke to you earlier about this. I don't get too much into the schedule. I just, I wait for the phone calls because the families are calling to reserve That's games. Right. But That's right. Yeah. Inevitably the first call I get now is, Hey, what are you doing with your tickets in Vegas? So um, that will be uh that'll be a calendar. Hopefully it's a, um, a holiday weekend because if it's a holiday weekend, then I won't have a lot of calls. The, the uh, I assume, I mean, you guys are a big ticket team. You play a lot of primetime games. You play a lot of different days than Sundays games are you used to that distraction now where it's not a big deal because I assume most teams would just like to go ahead and line up at at noon central time every game same routine same everything but it but all the different games have become part of your routine now yeah yeah I think you do get used to it um it is tough and you know the coach and I talk about it all the time I mean playing so many night games and and the road night games are killers um you know it's a lot in it seems like every year we're getting six, seven, eight of these night games. And, um, you know, when you're on the road and you're playing in, in LA or in Vegas or in Arizona and San Francisco, and then by the time you get back, it's three, four in the morning. And then all of a sudden, you know, guys are in for treatment a few hours later. I mean, it's a lot. Um, I'm with you though. I, I think when the schedule comes out, we certainly look for the primetime games and then the games that are most exciting are the games that are the 12 o'clock uh, noon kickoff, especially on the road. Now, the problem is, is once you get past whatever mark that is, we're always, we always seem to be getting flexed up to night games or, you know, so even when you do get the schedule and you feel like there's a pocket of games that are on the road, they're at one o'clock and, you know, you'll be back at a reasonable time in the back of your mind, you're always like, well, this one, you know, this one's primed to be a, um, a flex game and this will be a night game. So I think we've gotten used to it. It doesn't make it any easier. It's a lot aware and tearing our guys, but, um, you know, they've been able to adjust and handle the, the primetime spotlight for sure. You got your short week game early this year, right out of the gates. You've got the week two Thursday night game that kicks off the Amazon schedule. Do you like getting that quick turnaround early in the year when you guys are healthier or would you rather it come, you know, maybe later after you've had your bye week or something like that? No, I hadn't thought about that, but I mean, my gut would tell me that I think earlier you like it, uh, you know, I, I think with the, um, with the preseason now and it, it's taken a step back. Um, you know, you'll have the, the, the opener, but I think for the most part, um, the guys won't hit that kind of every team hits a lull like in November and December, and they have to take a step back and recharge before the playoffs. So I think um, having that Thursday game um, with, you know, certainly most of our guys not playing much the last preseason game at all, they will have, um, they will have a game and whether it's home or away, it'll probably be a road game. Um, I'm guessing I have no idea, but uh, you come back and, if you're going to play a Thursday game, to your point, I think having it early and then having it at home, I think is is a good deal. Well, Brett, I'll let you get back to work. I appreciate your time as always. Congratulations on another great draft. And we look forward to talking to you again down the road real soon. Awesome, Mike. Always great to catch up with you. Thank you, Brett. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, 
and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This is another special edition of PFTPM. We are doing our post-draft interview series with general managers throughout the NFL. We're going to broadly, not that broadly, expand the definition for the purposes of this interview. This isn't the general manager of the Dallas Cowboys, but the chief operating officer, executive vice president, director of player personnel. He is Stephen Jones. Stephen, welcome back. How are you? Hey, great being on, Mike. Look forward to our visit. Well, you know what? I thought of something just before we started. I praise you and your father, Jerry, all the time, because as owners go, you got your sleeves rolled up and you're directly involved and you don't act like you aren't. I feel like a lot of the other owners like to have a buffer so they can say they're not involved, but they really are. They just say they're not. They say that the people they hire to run the team run the team and they don't do anything. And I rarely believe that. But you don't have to do that with the Cowboys because the owners are not bashful about saying we are in charge and that's the way we like it. Mike? Yes. Hey, yes. Were you asking me a question? I was listening. Well, I was, I was just setting it up and letting you go. I was, I was hoping that when I finished <laughs> you would, you would agree with me. <laughs> I actually do. I actually do agree. And uh, you know, it's something obviously we have a great passion for. I mean, Jerry got in this over 30 years ago, uh, and it was to be involved. He said it from the day he walked in the door. Uh, he loved the game. He played college football. It was his dream uh, to get his hands on an NFL team. And uh, he made no no bones about it when he walked in the door. The, the famous quote, everything from socks to jocks, I'm going to be uh, in the middle of. And uh Certainly, I just graduated from school about three or four years earlier and played football at Arkansas as well. And uh, I certainly welcome that opportunity to be very involved uh, in all of it as well. So uh, you're right. Uh, we don't mince words about it. Uh, you know, we don't point fingers at the end of the day, uh, you know, how we do, uh, whether it's the, the business of football or whether it's football on the field. Uh, we feel like, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it comes back to our family in terms of uh, uh, whether we have success or not. Obviously, uh, you know, we've had some big successes in business, but as of late, it certainly pains us that we're not uh, having more success on the field. We won the three Super Bowls when we first walked in the door. And uh, unfortunately, it's, uh, you know, been too long uh, since we've been able to uh, bring another championship back to Dallas. And uh, uh, it's something that we think about uh uh, all the time, and uh, certainly we have to uh, improve. Our fans deserve better, and uh, uh, hopefully we took a, another step, uh, you know, over the last uh, three days of the draft that we, uh, you know, took a big big step in improving our team and uh, putting players around uh, Dak Prescott and that offense and certainly uh, working with Dan and the defense uh, and with, uh, with Mike McCarthy in terms of uh, – you know, getting the type of players that uh, we want to have in our building that uh, can bring us the championship. I know there's been plenty of talk coming both from Jerry and from you about the status of the team, where the team is, where it's going to be when the season gets here. But where do you personally feel things are in relation to where it left off at the end of the 2021 season? Well, we certainly feel good about it. Uh, you know, I know everybody wants to point to not having Amari Cooper, which Amari was a you know, a great player, but, uh, you know, people don't want to hear it, but you do have to make some decisions. Uh, you know, you see receivers around the league that are moving teams. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, certain teams have to make that call in terms of, you know, how much you want to have, you know, tied up in a, in a particular player receiver, uh, if you will. But uh, certainly uh, there's been some, you know, we don't have Amari. Uh, we ended up making a tough decision on Randy Gregory. Uh, but overall, we feel like uh, we really have had a good off season, and certainly 
you know, really amping up and, and finding some players to help uh, in particular with those two losses. Obviously, we've got uh, Sam Williams, who was a very successful defensive end uh, for Ole Miss and the SEC, uh, you know, had double-digit sacks. And then uh, certainly uh, really like Jalen Tolbert from uh, uh, South Alabama in terms of coming in here to uh, help C.D. and Michael Gallup. But I do think this is going to allow, you know, C.D. to really spread his wings even more and I think turn into, uh, you know, one of the top receivers in this league uh, with the opportunities that he's going to get. It is a strange time in the NFL at the receiver position because there are so many great ones coming into the draft every year, but there are plenty of great ones in the NFL that are attracting gigantic contracts. And if a team doesn't want to pay a guy a big contract, there's another team that'll trade for him and give him that contract. I can't remember a time like this where we've had one position, Stephen, that was so plentiful every year in the draft but it's going haywire at the top of the market with the receivers that are getting paid near and above 25, 28, 30 million dollars now. Yeah. Well, I just think, uh, you know, some of that too is I think, uh, uh, you know, part of the overall uh, makeup of your team. I mean, obviously, some of these teams that are paying quarterbacks big money, uh, we certainly fit, fit in that category with that. Uh, it, you do have to make some tougher decisions. And when you do have, you know, some top top quarterbacks that can get the ball to people, you feel better maybe about, uh, you know, having the youth in there that can uh, uh, step up and make those plays. So uh, it is, it's been really interesting uh, to watch in terms of, you know, seeing some of these great receivers, uh, you know, that are uh, that have moved teams. And uh, obviously, you know, some other names that are floating around out there that might, uh, might be uh, available for another team. You just don't know, but uh, it is an interesting time and agree with you. I think these uh, receivers are more plentiful than ever coming out of these colleges. They're, uh, you know, playing these, uh, that's, that's the college game now is to throw it around. And uh, you are able to see, uh, you know, uh, where these guys can come in and, and play immediately because they are have been in uh, you know, in a lot of cases, sophisticated offenses, offenses that throw the ball around and give them the opportunity to show uh, personnel people in our league uh, that it would translate uh, to our field uh, in the NFL. And the reality, too, when you draft a receiver who becomes great, like a C.D. Lamb, the clock ticks on how long you have him until he's in a position where he wants to be paid like some of these other guys. How much planning have you engaged in for the reality that after this coming season, you're going to have a young receiver in C.D. Lamb who is quite possibly jostling to get a big contract like some of the other ones that we've seen the receivers get? Well, I think you're always in that planning mode. I mean, I've talked to a lot of our guys around here and we're, you know, we've got a, you know, we look, you know, in detail at our salary cap situation up to three years out and uh, always keep that running number there to look at to see, uh, you know, what we're going to be looking at. I think we were in you know, obviously rare times in terms of the pandemic and what that did to the salary cap in terms of, uh, you know, not having fans in the stands. And obviously our players are partners and, you know, the salary cap felt that as well. So unlike the usual uh, bumps that you have where the cap just keeps growing, obviously we had a time where uh, it was, uh, you know, actually went down and then has made its way back up, but not to where it would have been had you not, uh, you know, face the pandemic. Now, uh, I do think our, our business is uh, in a great place and a great place to grow. And I think consequently, that's why you're seeing some of these big numbers with these receivers. Is I think everybody's projecting out that the cap is going to grow and, and business is going to be good in the NFL. Yeah, right now we're at $208.2 million. It was a $25 million or so jump post-pandemic, but there's still some pandemic losses baked into it. Where do you think the cap is going to go over the next couple of years? Yeah, I just think it'll probably get back in that mode again where it's growing in that, uh, you know, 10 percentage type, 5 to 10 percent type range. And, you know, barring something unforeseen that you should have, you know, some, you know, some, some growth as we move forward. There's still a, a few things that uh, have to be uh, corrected for uh, from the pandemic, just as you mentioned they were baked into this year's number. There'll be some more of that baked in next year. And then hopefully at that point, uh, we're caught up and we'll be going from there. But, uh, you know, right now it's too early to, you know, for, for us to project. We can do them internally, but it's probably 
not uh, uh, the right thing to do for me to guess or estimate where I think that cap's going to be uh, publicly uh, next year. The fans get caught up in that fantasy football aspect, the money that flies around in free agency. They look at what the Cowboys did this year in free agency, and they say, why, why wasn't more done? Why, why do you think there hasn't been more aggressive efforts in recent years by the Cowboys to go out and get free agents with big contracts? I know instead you've been giving out big contracts to some of your own guys that you drafted and developed, but why not the push to spend the money on the open market to the guys who become available every March? Well, we just feel like if you have, you know, we feel like our players are the better players out there, then that's who we'd like to spend on. You know them. Uh, there's no surprises. And, and feel like, uh, you know, if you, you can grow your home, get your homegrown players, uh, we feel like that's where we've been the most successful. Now, the flip side of that is where's the Super Bowl to show for it. Uh, but, uh, you know, at the same time, some of the players that we have, we've made a trade for Amari and kept Amari around here. Uh, for three or four years, we're not opposed to it, but it does have to, uh, you know, ha has to be the right player, uh, you know, for us to either go out and make a trade uh, or, or pay that player in free agency. I'm a big advocate that, uh, you know, free agency is an inflated uh, situation in terms of uh, uh, going out to get these players. Now, you know, trading for them, a lot of times you can uh, get into a contract that's more affordable or, or, or not as much, but, uh, Certainly when you're in a bidding war out there, which we certainly, uh, you know, had that situation with the Randy Gregory where we were trying to keep him. Obviously, other teams were wanting him, and the number uh, kept going up, and we ultimately made a tough decision. But uh, we are, uh, be the first to say it, that, uh, you know, we like to really uh, focus on the draft, uh, have successful drafts, and hopefully that gives you uh, your own homegrown players uh, that you can pay. Uh, this year was a little different for us in that we uh, – uh, because of the pandemic, it was tough to project how long it was going to last and, uh, you know, what effects it would have on the salary cap. So uh, we ended up having more free agents than, uh, you know, we normally would like to have because of the unknown. But uh, certainly uh, we feel like we're going to get back in the mix of uh, getting some of these players, these young players that we want to keep around here, uh, get ahead of it, get them signed so you don't have, uh, you know, so you don't have that type of uh, – uh, free agency risk uh, that we had this year. Your team had a better season in 2021 than a lot of the outsider would have predicted, overachieved, got to the playoffs, won the division a year after you didn't. When do you get a good feeling as to what the team is really going to be in a given year? At what point does that crystallize for you that, that you know, we're going to be pretty good or we're going we're gonna to struggle a little bit this year or whatever the case may be? You know, I think in general, when you have a, uh, a quarterback like Dak, I know the year before, uh, you know, we did struggle uh, in the pandemic, uh, but the injuries, including a major injury to uh, our quarterback, Dak, um, really hurt us. And, you know, it's tough to overcome that. Teams do it. We weren't able to uh, overcome the numbers uh, of injuries we had, not only to Dak, but the offensive line. Uh, you know, that side of the ball was a difficult year. And consequently, I, you know, we ended up struggling and, not having the type of team that we felt like, uh, you know, that we normally would have had without uh, the injury situation. But, you know, I think why we, you know, have this foundation in place, starting with Dak Prescott, you know, our view is every year we have an opportunity to go win it and uh, uh, go bring a championship back to Dallas. And certainly we feel really good about this team, feel even better about it after the draft. And I feel like, uh, you know, Love our coaching staff. Obviously, Dan Quinn came in here and really turned the defense around in quick order. Uh, I think it's only going to get better as uh, uh, people are, uh, as our players are understanding what Dan wants out of them. I mean, I think they had a great feel for it last year, but I still think, uh, you know, they will improve. And then, of course, we brought, you know, made some picks on the defensive side of the ball that should help us. And, you know, we have some young players that are going to get to step up now. I've mentioned uh, Dorrance Armstrong. I should get an opportunity. Obviously, Sam Williams to, you know, step up and fill that void where Randy, uh, you know, where we had to make a tough call and lose Randy there. Hopefully, there's some good young players that are ready to uh, step up and, uh, and, and have a chance to really make us better there. Do you pick up extra confidence for your team's expectations and, and prospects this year when you look at the conference as a whole and how many great players – have made the move from the NFC 
to the AFC to the point where the AFC seems really top heavy and the NFC to many respects seems wide open. Well, I just think, uh, you know, you, you can only control your team. And uh, uh, certainly I know a lot of people want to be critical of the NFC East and, you know, say that it's not very competitive, but those are, you know, the three other organizations in the East are all very strong. Uh, you know, they're big markets. Uh, they do have, uh, you know, good ownership, good coaches. And, uh, you know, it's it's a matter of time before it, uh, you know, gets back to being uh, competitive again. But we feel, uh, you know, we can only control what we can control. And uh, we're going to continue to work to uh, make our team better. Uh, you know, the offseason is a long one. Uh, you know, we're not through with, uh, you know, you're usually never through with player acquisition. It goes on throughout the year. And uh, we'll continue to look for ways to make our team better, but uh, do feel good about uh, the, the, the core and the foundation of our team right now. Fans, I think, always want to have big-name, exciting draft picks. And as offensive linemen go, once you get past the first few that get talked about so much before the draft and people feel like they know who they are, fans just kind of shrug when a team takes like a mid-first round, mid-to-late first round offensive lineman. What should Cowboys fans know? Why should they be excited about your first round pick offensive lineman, Tyler Smith. Well, I just think his up, uh, upside is tremendous. He played at a smaller school there at Tulsa, uh, only played in 18 games at Tulsa. And, uh, uh, but just feel like his skill sets really lend to him, uh, you know, really having an opportunity, I think, uh, to be a top, top uh, left tackle at some point. Uh, obviously, we got one of the best in the business for him to learn from in Tyron Smith. Uh, certainly, uh, Tyler uh, Smith will get an opportunity uh, to, to hit the field at some other spots as well. He'll he'll compete on that left side, left guard, left tackle. Uh, unfortunately, Tyron has missed some time uh, over the past four or five years. And uh, so, uh, you know, we obviously have to take a look at that with his age and, uh, you know, just uh, the track record of him missing some games year in and year out. So, uh, but we do feel like... Uh, one of the reasons that we really wanted him was his versatility and the upside to go out and play that left tackle versus maybe uh, taking a couple of guys who were more uh, center only type guys and uh, just made that call that we felt it was best for our organization to go in that direction. It's already been six years since you got Ezekiel Elliott in round one of the draft and Dak Prescott round four that same year. Elliott's in the last guaranteed year of his second contract. And some would say if this money wasn't guaranteed, he wouldn't be on the team at all and definitely won't be next year. What do you say to that speculation? I just think that's all it is, is speculation. I mean, Zeke, Zeke Elliott is one of the more competitive guys I've ever seen come through the doors of our organization. He's a top-notch competitor, obviously, you know, being a running back in our league, uh, you know, you're going to take hits. And, uh, uh, certainly, uh, he's had his share of them, uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, everything will evaluate this, uh, you know, evaluate him this year, but feel great that uh, things are shaping up for him. He's having a great offseason and shaping up uh, to have a great year, and uh, we'll certainly, you know, make any uh, decisions that we have to make on players after we evaluate next season, And uh, uh, but uh, we feel fortunate to have Zeke on our team. We feel like uh, you know, he's, it's setting up for him to have a great year. Uh, we're obviously putting some work into our, our offensive line there and feel like, uh, you know, we'll go out there and, uh, you know, really put together uh, a group. We think we, you know, probably could do a better job uh, running the football more. And uh, certainly that's what we'll be looking at. The schedule comes out on May 12, and I've worked with NBC long enough to know that the networks generally, when the schedule comes out, want to see how many Cowboys games they have because they'd all like to have as many as they can get. When the schedule comes out for you, what's the first thing you look at? Usually what I look at is just to see where we've got, uh, where the tough parts are, where we have to go on the road three weeks. If there's a stint where we have to go on the road three weeks in a row, which you hope to avoid. Uh, certainly you can't help yourself. You look at where your primetime games are, uh, our season, because we know every year we're going to be playing on Thanksgiving. You look to see how that sets up. I do in terms of, uh, what you're doing before that week, after that week. Uh, and then of course, where your buy sets are some of the highlights of what I look for in, in, in terms of a schedule when I get my hands on it. 
it's always one of the highlights to see the Cowboys play, and it's a highlight to get a chance to talk to one of the guys who've been running the Cowboys for all these years. Steven, congratulations on your success. Appreciate some of your time. All the best for the rest of the offseason. We hope to talk again soon. Appreciate it. Enjoy it. Take care. Thanks, Steve. can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing inspections negotiating analyzing the market and talking through any anxieties that may pop up that can make all the difference that's what the expertise of a realtor can do for you realtors are members of the national association of realtors and bound by a code of ethics because that's who we are Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.